I saw an interesting post online uh, this week. A friend shared it. It is not original with me. It's written by a man named uh, Jerry Capone, apparently. Um, and here's, here's what it says. This is the wrong sermon. This is last week's sermon. I should have looked at the title. Hum quietly to yourself. I want you to be able to see the words uh, on there. I I have them on the screen. And uh, so we'll get that. Is that this week? This is it. Yep, okay, now here we go. All right, so here it is. It says, don't be fooled, dear daughters. Don't let the world tell you what love looks like. Don't fall into the trap that love is measured in the size of a ring or how much you spend on vacation or the type of car they drive. Don't get caught up with someone who only talks about your beauty. Don't get sucked into professions on social media or late-night whispers or apologies after a fight. Don't fall for a person whose words and actions don't align. Watch how a potential partner treats their parents, waiters, the delivery guy. Watch if they lose their temper over little things. Listen how they speak when someone makes a mistake. Remember how they talk about others when they aren't in the room. Because you won't always be in the room. Grandiose gestures are great. Flowers on special occasions are sweet. Compliments can make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Temporarily. But this, dear daughters, this is what love looks like. Love is getting up an hour early before work so your family can get out of the driveway. Love is getting the brakes checked on the car before a road trip. Love is offering the delivery man a bottle of water on a hot day and helping a neighbor move a couch and rescuing a baby bird from a basement well. Love is doing the dishes most nights to show that housework doesn't fall only on one person's shoulders in a relationship. Love is admitting you were wrong and apologizing for it. Oftentimes we mistake words we want to hear for love and that can be a grave mistake. We see what we want to see, make excuses for what makes us uncomfortable. But this, dear daughters, is what love looks like. Don't forget it. I thought this was good to read, uh, good to take to heart. Uh, The next section that we're looking at in 1 John today tells us what love looks like. Let's pray, and we're going to get into that passage. Father, thank you. Thank you for for those who love well. Thank you for the times I have been able to see you through the love of others. For those times in which you have touched my heart 
continue to transform my soul as you've worked in and through those around me. As we look into your word this morning, continue that process. Use your word to help us be more and more transformed into the people you want, but also more and more vessels, channels, those who exude your love. Reminded of that passage in Romans that your love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit you have given us. And Father, it needs to be that way in us. That it is just so much that it just falls from us, that it just comes from us. So teach us from your word, through your spirit, by your grace, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, so if you want to turn there or get there, however it is you're looking at this. Um, we're going to look at these a verse or two at a time. It, it, it's just easier for me. It, it seems to me it's easier for us <clears throat> excuse me, to make those connections to the Word of God. And that's really what I want you to do. I want you to make the connection to the Word of God, that what we're saying helps you see God and helps you understand God and His Word a little bit more. So... First uh, John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16, says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Now look how it opens, uh, how this, this, the verses we're looking at today um, one of the very first things it tells us is that he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. In Romans, it tells us that while we were yet sinners, before we cared, before we even realized it is when this happened. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. One of the... One of the, the, the uh, realities that just strikes me over and over again is as Jesus was dying on the cross, as he was hanging on the cross, he looked out at those people who were before him, those who had nailed him to the cross, those who were gambling for his clothes there at his feet, those who were yelling and shouting curses just hours before about crucify him, those who were still shaking their fists at him, those who were saying, you know, if your God come down from now, cross and he looks out at all of these people and he says father forgive them forgive them while we were yet sinners while we were still in sin while we were still actively sinning christ died for us and again, here in John, in First John, he lifts up he lifts up a, a, a Christ as our example for living. He's the one we're to pattern our lives after. We've seen that week after week after week as we've been going through First uh, John. You know, you you pick up habits from many others. We looked at this as we were looking earlier. You know, you pick them up from your parents, friends, from personalities of various degrees. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, what, what some of that is, but what do you think about it? You know, it's maybe it's a Sunday school teacher, maybe it's a Bible study leader. I am very much. Ginny and I both are very much a reflection of Randy and Jean Boltema. 
You know, you've heard me talk about them before because we are very much a reflection of them and their lives and, and the way they poured their lives into us. You know, you have that, you know, and what we what we should be doing here, you know, with this whole this whole picture of lifting up Christ as the example, we should love others the way God loves us and the way God loves others. That there is that standard, there is that call to us that we are to love, you know, to, to love others the way God loves us. Uh, a, a very good summary of the Christian life is that the Christian life is the imitation of Christ. And it, didn't Thomas Akempis didn't he write a book? Um, yeah, Tom, you know, Thomas Akempis. The title of you know his book is uh, you know is an imitation of Christ. That's a, a great summary of what the Christian life is. That we're to imitate Christ. We are to be like Him. We are not only just to reflect Him. We are you know it is to it is to flow from within us. You know, as as a person, as He transforms us. And part of what that means is you know that is what we have with others. You know, others we know who have a relationship with Christ. What He says here. What He says talks about a brother in need you know that if you see a brother in need when he's talking about a brother there he's talking about uh you know that that we share what we have with those who know christ you know those others who know christ he is he is drawing us on our attention to one another now again there's a lot that goes into this you know just to be able to say that you have to again take in a fuller counsel of scripture with all of this um you know we are we are not to we are never to condone laziness you know that is not we are not to encourage laziness uh, to the thessalonians uh, Paul writes, he says, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, there's an important phrase there. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly. There are some among you who live irresponsibly. Some among you who sit back and think that they should just be taken, taken care of. He says, not working at all. And here you go. But interfering with the work of others. You know, now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that quietly working uh, they may eat their own food. So when he's talking about caring for one another, he is not condoning. He is not condoning or encouraging laziness at all. Now, you, you, as you know, you know we, we look at extremes a lot of times, and don't use this verse to excuse the fact that he also calls us to actively help and support those who truly are in need. Uh, to Timothy, he writes, he says, support widows who are genuinely widows. You know, if, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. I'll just let you think about that for a minute. You see, what he's telling us here, you know, that there are those who generally are in need, and there are those that you need to care about and that you need to love and that you need to express care for. He goes on a little bit later, same chapter. He says, if any believing woman has widows in her family, she should help them, and the church should not be burdened so that it can help those who are genuinely widows. What's he doing? He's calling us here to an individual responsibility to care for and love others who we know who genuinely need help. Now, part of that sometimes, genuinely needing help, is that they may genuinely need a job. You know, they may genuinely need something, something to do, something productive to do, and helping them in that. And some of it, too, might be that, you know, they really need someone to come alongside them now because they can't, they, can't, they can't do this. Not because 
Not because they've overextended themselves. When I sit down to talk with people, when people come and ask for help, you know, we have the benevolent fund and we use that benevolent fund to help people when they come, some from inside the church, some from outside the church. Uh, those that what I always sit down and I talk with them a little bit at first and, um, you know, and I, I tell them, you know, we're, we're trying to be an actual help here. Uh, and I get a little bit of feel for their situation. Those in the church, I know their situation more. Um, and if somebody comes to me a second time for help, then we get in a little bit more. And I say, how? You know, one of the things I ask the first time is, what's going to be different? You know, if we're helping you pay this electric bill, what's going to be different next month? You know, what's going to? How's this going to change? How's this going to? And, and, you know, and you know, asking the hard questions sometimes isn't easy, but it's also given us a great opportunity to be able to share the love of Christ in meaningful ways with people. To be able to come alongside and, and genuinely help those who genuinely need help. It's easy. It's easy to throw money at a problem. This isn't what he's calling us to do here. Now, he's also calling you not he's he's calling you to not be stingy. You know, he's he's calling you to be willing to part with your money if that's what you need. But he's what he's calling us to is don't just take the easy way. Don't just take the easy way. It's easy to say, you know, give them five bucks and say, here, you know, go, go on your way. Uh, you know, we have people stop by sometimes and they say they're hungry and they need food. And, you know, it's an easy thing to just be able to, you know, here, go to McDonald's and get some food. But what we try to do is take them over there and talk with them a little bit. He's calling us. You know, he's calling us to care about someone enough to be involved in their life. This is what he's saying here. This is what he's calling us to. You know, and those in your physical family, as he's laying out here in Timothy, they certainly should be on the top of your list to help those when they're in need. And here, let me give you the warning. Help, don't enable. You see, we treat our family differently. Sometimes uh, we will treat our family and help them and actually enable them to continue foolish behavior. If you have a family member who, we could put all sorts of things in here, who um, is an alcoholic and they have spent all their money on, on alcohol and um, don't have any money left for groceries, um, don't, in, don't, don't enable them to have money Here's, here's where it gets hard sometimes. Don't enable them to have money uh, to spend on alcohol by buying them groceries. Let's put something else in there. What if they gamble and lose all their money in gambling? Or an irresponsible lifestyle. One of the questions I ask people and things, you know, when, when we get involved is, tell me about your bills. Oh, you know, my cable bill's $250 a month. It is. You ever think of canceling that? Um, I, I still remember Henry Deering was an elder in, a, in the church we came to Christ in. And I still remember uh, at one meeting, Henry Deering, uh, we were talking about helping some people. And um, Henry's the one who drew my attention to getting involved with things like this. He said, because... Coke 
and he meant Coca-Cola. It takes a whole different picture nowadays, doesn't it? He said Coke becomes a necessity when you have enough money. You know, and it does. But what he's saying is care enough to get involved in their life to really be a help to people, you know, and not just, not just throwing it at them. But, you know, so even with your family, don't enable them. Help them. That's, this is what he calls us to. Here in these verses in John, you know, he also adds, you know, that, you know, that we know who have a real commitment to Christ, you know, as well. You know, God's the ultimate source. He's the ultimate source of all help. But God most often help, provides help through other people. I can't remember a single time where money fell from heaven for me. I can't. You know, and yeah, okay, so tell me about this time where a car wrecked, you know, where, where a truck wrecked on the expressway and all this money flew out. It's never happened to me. I'm just telling you, it's ne- I'm not saying these things don't happen. What I'm telling you is it's never happened to me. But I have been helped through other people. And do you realize you're helping someone else you could be their answer to prayer. That God wants to bless you by allowing you to be their answer to prayer. You know, that they prayed and they needed help and God taps you and says, hey, you know, and you will get to be their answer to prayer. You know, now he tells us here in these verses too that not helping another believer when you have the resources, when you see their need, it's showing that you need to allow God, God's love to reside in you. Did you see? That's what he says there at the, at the end of verse 17. Uh, you know, that, that if you see, you know, you have this, if you have the world's goods, you see the brother in need, you close his eyes to that need. And then he says, how can God's, God's love reside in him? Reside, be at home. Take up dwelling. You know, that whole picture there, ignoring the need of a believer you know and you have the resources to help is acting against the love of God rather than allowing God to love through you. Let's pick up again. Verse 18. Little children, which again he uses, you know, it's his term of affection for them. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Now, you see, we we need to make sure we're not simply giving lip service here, he's telling us. We need to not simply giving lip service to love. God has called you to live that out toward others. Your walk and your talk need to be in harmony. They need to be the same. James says, if a brother or sister without clothes and lacks daily food, one, you know, and one of you says to them, so this is someone who's truly in need, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you don't give them what, your body, what the body needs, what good is it? You know, what, what good is it? If you have the resources to help and yet you choose not to, you know, you are acting against the love of God. He, he tells us, you know, that if you say you have a relationship with Christ and you say you're living for him, then make sure you actually live as God calls you to live. Make sure you actually live as he calls you to live. You know, if you have that opportunity there, talk, you know, without the proper accompanying actions is actually a lie. To say you love God and that you follow God and then not to follow it through with actions is a lie. 
To say that you love and you care about someone else and then you see their need and you tell them, you know, you know I really care about you and we, what we don't say out loud is, and I can help you, but I'm not going to. But I'm choosing not to because I like that new saw, Zuba, you know, or whatever it is, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, that, that he calls us here to, to, put, uh, to put some feet to our words, that, the, that our, our walk and our talk are, are in harmony, you know, and that we don't lie. Now, we spend a lot of time sometimes making excuses on why we don't exhibit love to particular individuals. And we can spend a lot of time making those excuses. And, uh, you know, you, you can... You know, you can biblically love someone without supporting their error. You know that, don't you? You can biblically love someone without supporting their error. You can biblically love someone without condoning their bad behavior. You can still love them and care about them without, without uh, uh, agreeing with their bad behavior. You can still show love and express love. We need to quit working on excuses and instead work on loving others as God calls us to. You know, to make that a real part of our lives. You know, a believer's relationship with others affects their relationship with God. Did you catch that? Your relationship with others affects your relationship with God. Why do I say that? Well, because God says that, Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. You see, that was a huge thing for them. He says, leave that, leave that there. Quit doing religious stuff, he's saying. Quit pretending like you have a relationship with me. What he's saying is leave your gift there in front of the altar and then go first and be reconciled to your brother. Then come, then come and offer your gift. What he's saying is get your, get your, get your, your walk in line with your talk outside of these four walls and then come together. And then come together and, and spend that time. God puts a high priority on worship. Look at the priority he puts on love here. As God's people, as, as God's children, part of his family, those with a relationship with God, we need to be people of integrity, meaning there needs to be a consistency here between what we say and how we live. There needs to have a consistency there. You know, most of the other translations in verse 19 and 20, uh, the Holman Christian Standard has conscience. Uh, most of the other translations say heart, you know, rather than conscience there. And as I was looking and studying that word, and heart literally seems to be a, a better translation to me because it's, refer, it's referring to the seat of your emotions, that, you know, where our, our emotions come from. Uh, but your conscience seems to be uh, a response mechanism to your emotions. So, you know, that word is doable because, you know, your conscience, uh, you know, it'll tap you or slap you, um, you know, when you, when you uh, violate what you know to be right or what you know to be best. Um, you know, part of my conscience has a name. It's called Ginny. And, um, <laughs> hey, hey, it's true. I mean, admit it, admit it, you know, when we talk about our better half, yesterday somebody was irritating me and I used the most underused part of the vehicle, the horn, as they made this U-turn in front of me where it says no U-turn, and 
Right away, my conscience said, what are you doing? And I looked over at her. You know, but, you know, she said, I was really showing love. Well, thanks for that. Thinking of my sermon. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole the whole reality, you know, of, of our, our conscience, uh, you know, it, it lets you know when you violate that. He says here, you know, if you're still living like a child of the devil, the opposite, you know, one who is opposed to God, your conscience will get your attention. Unless, in, unless your heart is calloused or your conscience is seared, then you're in trouble. If your heart is callous and your conscience is seared, and I, I, I shudder for some people who I think, what's it going to take to get through to them? What is it going to take? How hard are they going to have to be hit? That makes it sound like God is out to get you. He's not, but he is. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. You know, and unless your heart... You know, as callous, you know, your conscience is seared. You know, you need to do it. You know, you need to do a reality check of who you're following, who you're living for. Who is winning the balance and influencing your life? Who is it? Who is winning that battle for influence in your life? You know, how is that? How, how, how is that battle going for you? You know, and if you're more and more following God, living from a changed heart, a new life, new drives, new desires, uh, then you can be sure you're God's child. This is what he's telling us here. You know, now living that, living this way does not make you a child of God. Understand that. Living that way does not make you child, a child of God. It is simply proof that you are a child of God. That this new life has, has come on and begun and continued this transforming work within you. Now, with this too, with the whole conscience thing, you know, we can come under false guilt. Now, be ready to, I thought you were raising your hand and wanting a question here. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, she's putting her coat on. Uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole reality, our, our conscience, you know, can give us some false guilt sometimes. But now when it, when it comes up, make sure you examine because the, the guilt may be legitimate, but it might, it might be a false guilt. It might only be a poor perspective on our part. I know some people have called me and apologized for stuff, and I said, quit it. You have nothing to apologize to me for, you know, just quit it. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, but sometimes it's just a poor perspective. Because here again, John lays out once again, the example is Christ, you know, and, and we can see the example is Christ, and we see how far we have to go. And we can get discouraged. We see how far we have to go sometimes instead of how far we have come. I remember when I ran my first marathon. I ran Chicago, the Chicago Marathon 1998. You know, and I, ran, I had trained for months. I had trained for months. A couple of buddies and I went up and, um, you know, and we ran the race. And the first part is easy. You know, we could run 10 miles. That wasn't a problem at all. You know, running 10 miles was not, was not an issue. But the race is 26.2 miles. You see, so then, well, I started getting tired as I ran down 22nd Street. Some of you know where that is. Ran down 22nd Street toward Chinatown. Turned into Chinatown right about mile 19. And I was pretty tired. 
And so then we left Chinatown and I go down by Comiskey Park. You know, it's what you see where White Sox play right there. You know, you see it off of I-94 when you're driving in. And we came around the backside of Comiskey Park and I crossed over I-94 and I was dragging. I was whooped. I was, you know, get the bus, I'm taking it back, you know. And I turned that corner. And as I turned the corner, I looked, and there's a huge number 22. There's mile 22. And I thought, I have never run this far before in my life. And it was, to know how far I had come was, it was exciting, you know, as exciting as you can get when you can barely move your legs. But but, uh, each mile marker then, was a reminder to me that I have never run this far. Run is a, is a misnomer at that point in the race. I have never made it this far on my legs, uh, you know, uh, in my life. And each one, and it, it was still hard, but it was, it was an encouragement to know how far I had come and to be able to continue to push through to the end. Now, in our walk with Christ, you know, we can get discouraged by how far we have to go yet to be like Christ. But I think one of the things we need to do is to take a new view and look how far you've come. I have far to go, but praise God, I am not what I used to be. I was thinking about that yesterday, you know, as we as we were shopping before I honked the horn and uh, because there were some people there, and um, you know, I, I, I can be a smart aleck and um, uh, and, a, and, a, and a wise guy. And there were a few people in the store, and I thought, I, you know, had I not come to Christ and had my life transformed, some things would have come out of my mouth, you know, um, which I would have found hilarious, but it would have been at their expense. And that's, that's not what God's called me to. And I was grateful to re- be reminded. I'm not yet, I'm not, I, I have a long way to go, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I am not what I used to be. We need to remember that sometimes, this whole transforming, you know, thing. Uh, I have far to go, and it can be tiring And yes, it can be overwhelming. But here's the deal. Tomorrow, this afternoon, I have the opportunity to be more like Christ than I am right now. Wherever you're going this afternoon, whatever you have to do this afternoon, whatever you choose to do this afternoon, you have the opportunity to be more like Christ as you're doing it this afternoon. You have the opportunity to be be more like Christ than you are right now sitting here. We have come a long way, you know, and we have that opportunity. Realize, realize the enemy of our souls is out to discourage us. He doesn't have to defeat us. He only has to discourage us. Because, you know, what happens when, you know, if you think you're a lousy Christian, then you're not going to be, you're not going to very easily or very likely tell others about what it means, you know, about Jesus Christ. 
But remember this whole letter. We are looking at a letter. We are in part of it. Remember the whole thing. Remember back to chapter 1. You know, in the first chapter when he says, you know, that if we sin, you know, if we confess, that we take that sin when we know we've sinned and we do what? We confess it to him. He's faithful and just. Will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't separate this from the rest of the letter. Don't separate this from the rest of the word of God. We have that opportunity. You know, you find something in your living that's not in harmony with your new life in Christ. Do what it says confess it confess it to him get whatever it is out of your life god's not bringing it up to discourage you he's doing it to motivate you to pull you forward to bring you to raise you up to new heights here you know begin your living from your new nature as god's child for your new nature as him god is it tells us there in those verses god knows all things he knows you need help When it says he knows all things, he knows you need help, and he's willing to help you live from your new life in him. You know, you are not alone. We looked at that last week. You are not alone. You know, when our hearts condemn us, our enemy discourages us, you know, or or discourages your heart, realize God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your conscience. Go to him for encouragement and strength. You know, go to him and, and, and continue with him. It doesn't mean you won't get tired. It doesn't mean you won't get weary. You will, you know, if you're, because you should be expending effort. You should be expending effort to be more like Christ. And it can get tiring, but it does mean he'll give you the strength and the determination. I love the encouragement of Philippians. It says, not that I have already reached the goal or am fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Now, what he's talking about there is, is not being held back. You know, what I was talking about before was being motivated by how far you've come here. He's saying, don't be held back by what you've done. Don't be held back by what you were. He says, forget what's behind. Reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue. I run after. I put forth that effort as my goal. The the prize, the promised by God, the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Reach, stretch, push forward, pursue Christ. We need to... We, we need to get going here. Verse 21. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Our enemy wants to discourage us, you see, but God wants us to succeed. And he will do all that he can to help us be more like him if we let him. You know, when when we live from our new life in Christ, we're going to find that our desires, our desires, you know, are from that new nature and they're not opposed to God. You know, God is pleased to live out the new nature as his child. He wants to help us live out this new nature as his child. He wants us to succeed. He is not trying to discourage us. He's trying to encourage us, to lift us up, to, to bring us to new heights, to bring you further than you ever have been with him before. Now remember, he won't help you walk away from him. God will not help you walk away from him. God will not help you sin. He will not help you destroy yourself. He will give us, he'll he'll put those new priorities in us that are in line with his will when we live from that new nature, you know, that's in God as a child of God. And and we will see those things being transformed. Let's hit these last couple verses. Verse 23. 
Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way that we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit he has given us. You see the command here, the, you know, the, the command to believe in him, to love one another, this is nothing new. It's nothing new at all. He told his followers in Matthew 22, he says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He was asked, what's the most important thing? He's telling them, here's the most important thing. Love God, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You've heard this before. Love God and love people. You cannot separate loving God from, you know, you cannot separate loving people from loving God. Now, you can love people but ignore God. You can't do that. You can love people but ignore God, but you cannot love God and ignore people. You can't. This is what he's telling us here. You cannot love God and ignore people. You can't do that. The actions that naturally flow out of our living will be in line with his commands, you know, when we're, when we live from our new life, from our new nature in Christ, then we will remain in him. And he talks about the spirit here, the witness of the Holy Spirit. It, it helps us remain in Christ, remain living from that new nature in Christ. John chapter 14, he does a lot of teaching about the Spirit in, in John 14, 15, 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him. Why? Because he remains with you and will be in you. He goes on, chapter 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. He'll speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. I like the verses in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you guide you on the right paths don't consider yourselves to be wise fear the lord turn away from evil this takes effort but guess what god is for you in this romans chapter 8 the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children now he's going to get into this into this more in the following verses but you know when you're about to respond from your old nature when you're about to live out something contrary to Christ you feel that little check that little hesitancy as i was seeing some of those people in the store yesterday and i wanted to blurt some of those things out and i received that little check that little hesitancy you know from the spirit that said you know this is not going to honor god you know if you say that, that is not going you may entertain yourself, but that is not gonna honor God. You know, and you have that little check, you know, that now you can blow right past that. You know, you can blow right past the, the you know, and ignore the guidance of the spirit. That's what grieving the spirit is. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, No foul language. Not some. There isn't some that's okay, in case you're wondering. No 
foul languages to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you. It must be removed from you. Along with all malice. Well, can I just hold a little grudge? Well, I think the verse is pretty clear. Now, did you notice the warning there about not grieving a spirit? Did you notice that it comes right in the middle of warnings about what flows from the old nature? We have all these things that flow from the old life that he's called us to leave behind. And choosing to live from the old life, you know, not living from our new life in Christ, he says here, grieves the Holy Spirit, God himself. You know, it, it, and it's living a lie for someone who claims to have a relationship with Christ. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What's he saying here? He's, what he's saying here is, again, you know, that actions need to flow from a changed heart. The actions that, you know, your heart is changed and the actions need to follow it along here. When he says to me, depart from me, you lawbreakers. Remember, the last couple of weeks we looked at, you know, we looked at this word lawbreakers. It's those who resent God's, it's those who resent God's moral authority. And it's a, those who are resenting God's moral authority. So what is it? Those actions they did did not flow from their heart. They were trying to earn something. God says, you know, when, you, when your life is changed, when your life is transformed, these, these things, you know, there are things that a child of God doesn't do. You know, that's not what a child of God looks like. That, you know, that, that is not what somebody transformed by the love of God looks like. The love of God is lived out every day by those who have a relationship with Christ. lived out every day not because we're trying to earn god's love but because we are being transformed every day by god's love we are being transformed that means yes you know that you might you might mess up sometimes back to the first chapter back to the first chapter same letter first chapter we confess our sins he's faithful and just and we'll forgive you see because there was a time in my life Here's the difference for you. There was a time in my life when I didn't care that I did those things. And the fact that I care is also an evidence that God is transforming my life. We are being transformed. We are growing in his grace. You know, what does love look like? Love looks like a life transformed by a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to um, know you and the opportunity to be able to say that uh, you are our God, to be able to live not perfectly, 
but to live a transformed life, being transformed more and more by you. I thank you for those reminders. Sometimes I, I, I don't like it in the moment and it's a little unpleasant, but I thank you for those reminders of when I don't act in the way which is in line with the transforming work you have done and are doing and want to do yet in me. Thank you for the witness of your spirit. Thank you for the way you work in and through others and have shown me love and grace. I thank you for the way in which you allow uh, you allow me to be reminded that I am your child and to live as your child. To be able to live out every day the love that you have for me, put within me, and want to run through me. Help us to live that way, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.